I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Mary Ponza from Troy, New York, in the New York capital region. And she's an active member of the local poetry scene, has hosted several reading series, the latest of which has been running for 12 years. She's the author of several books, and she's involved in a resuscitation of an annual event called The Readings Against the End of the World. After we talk to Mary, I'll be talking a bit about the Poet Laureate position with information I got from the Poet Laureate's anthology. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our guest today is Mary Panza, an Albany, New York poet who has been active on the scene there for quite some time in uh, organizing poetry readings. Uh, she has a book, Hair Buffet. Did I get that yes. right? I've, I have a few books, yeah. Several Hair books. Buffet is yes. one, one of, of the them. early ones. Yeah, one of the one early of the very ones. early ones. Yeah, and and she's uh, very active in, in a an important new event that's going to be happening in Albany, which is the revival of the Readings Against the End of the World, a 24-hour marathon series. This used to be an annual uh, event. So, Mary, welcome to Poetry Spoken here. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's let's get into it. What do you want to talk about first? Um, do? Well, I'll give you a little bit about myself. I started um, at one of Tom Nattel's QE2 open mics like in 1988. So I'm looking down my 30th year of being part of this scene. Um, and I just, I love it. It was, it, it's my home. It's where you, you know, I can totally just be my asshole self. <laughs> and I, I try to accomplish that every time. <laughs> With great success, I'd say. I, I hope my experience. So. Yeah. But <laughs> given week, you know, like, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you're, you're a citizen poet. In a given week, like how much... Do you write poetry every day or read poetry or do um, something about poetry? I, I'm part of an organization called Albany Poets, and I'm vice president of that organization. And I I don't I don't write as much poetry as I used to, although I still do. I do a blog every two weeks um, called Housewife Tuesday, and you can check it out on albanypoets.com. And I find I have more to say. Like when I, I wrote poetry, I didn't like, going over a hundred words because I felt it was just too much. Oh. And now I like telling a story and I think that just comes with age and motherhood and there's just, <laughs> you know, you've got to get more out. Yeah. And the and format. Sounds, the format's different. Liberated you a little bit there. A little bit. Yeah. 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 I, I used to not like words and now I'm a bigger fan of, of storytelling and words and stuff like that. That's handy for a poet. I yeah, you know. <laughs> but I was I was queen of the short the longer titles and the shorter poems back in the day. And now um I just I appreciate the story more. Hmm. Hmm. Well you want you want to read something? I want to read something. Um, oh cool. I wrote this a few years ago and then I I kind of revamped it. This is called This Is Not an Angry Poem. This is not an angry poem. This is a poem about liberation, mine from you, 
an actor, Jeremy Irons, once said, there's a fine line between being a perfectionist and being a cunt. That is what you are, Mr. and Mrs. Important, cunts. But this is not an angry poem. This is not a PhD, perfect for publishing and being the orator of all that is poetic. This is not a perfectly crafted three-minute rant suitable for framing and world domination. This is not a cancer-curing, the blind see and the deaf hear piece of poetic masterpiece. This is a poem. This is what I wanted to say, but I was told I shouldn't say it. And then they all realized I wasn't built for not saying things. This is not an angry poem. This is liberation. This is all bets are off, all favors cashed in. This is me off the leash that I was put on for the sake of peacekeeping. It's over, baby. Mr. and Mrs., you can take your passive aggressive divide and conquer. What can you do for me bullshit and go to hell? This is a thank you poem. Thank you for showing me that I was right all along. Thank you. But this is not an angry, rage-filled fuck you. This is a joyous, bathed in the pink light of love, small-waisted, full, full-hip, middle-aged, perimenopausal, go fuck you. This is not an angry poem. This is a poem I've been trying to write for weeks. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. You know, it's, I mean, it's so pointed, and yet you know you're so funny. Divine, it's just... Well, it's got all those different characteristics. I mean, it makes a point, but then again, it's entertaining as anything. I mean, it's really. Yeah. I think when you put, you know, I just get frustrated with people who try to put poetry in, in a box. And I, I just, I got published a lot in the 90s. And I don't send stuff out as much anymore. I don't have the time. I don't have the discipline for it. And, mm. you know, when people are like, well, I've been published here and I've been published there. I'm like, I don't care read your poetry i mean what does it have to say it's not i'm more interested in what got you there not where you end up yeah what got you to that poem what got me to this poem the poem you just read yeah what was the was uh, there a particular I impetus i just get frustrated um you know i get frustrated with like the younger people not understanding like our history and thinking they invented words and, you know, I was always interested in my own history. I was always interested in your history. I, I like hearing people's stories. And um, and I'm not a university person. I'm not, although I appreciate it. Uh, I'm just not, I'm not an academic. I don't believe in that publish or perish. I just believe in writing. I just, I believe in the yeah. thing. And I just, it was frustrating. Do you feel what? What do you what do you feel like when you finish a poem, or do you know when a poem? What do you feel like after you've had sex? Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feel like smoking a cigarette and having a drink, maybe ordering a pizza. <laughs> so there you go. Excellent. Yeah, do another one. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, prisoners of a cardboard story. This certain song sets me off every time, brings me to the backyard where I left all hope. Hope, I was told, is the worst addiction one can have.
It makes you believe in false gods and used car salesmen. Makes you feel like you have a butterfly in your throat fluttering frantically to escape so you can finally scream. Makes your heart race. Makes you clean your house with bleach and pace and hold a pen. I held the pen, but nothing came out. I failed that pen. I failed. I cry in my car sometimes. I cry every time I see a hopeful young girl. I cry for her. I pray for her. The one thing I won't do for her is hope. So that's, that's that. That's an interesting concept, crying in the car. I I do that a lot since I've become a mother. Oh. You know, because it's I'm usually... I think when you're a mother or a parent in general, a lot of time you're in your car because you're going from here to there, yeah. pick up, drop off, rah, all that stuff. And um, I just, I always like, I like my car. I like driving. When I was, I had a very rough childhood. And when I was young, like about four or five, I always dreamed about driving, like just driving so I could drive away. Yeah. It was like, freedom like i've always had this love affair with cars um and just being able to listen to your own music in your car and stuff like that so i think you know i still to this day i'll have picnic in my car on my days off if i'm running errands i'll just get some lunch and i'll have a picnic in my car and um the last time i did that i watched uh i was watching netflix on my phone in my car eating my lunch and it was like it's a great day so that's well, you know there's that element of privacy to just be yourself and, and it is you yeah want to do and i can go anywhere and i can do anything it's my car so yeah i've always kind of had a, a mm. love a romance if you will with with being in my car i don't mind driving you know, that kind of thing. Cause it's, it was always in my mind. If I could drive, I could get away and I could yeah. be free. You ever do road trips? Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yep. I, I, my favorites are, um, I haven't done it in a long time because my time is restricted, but on oh, my days off, I would go to Bennington. That's cause I'm from Troy. Yeah. So like we have route seven and route two, so I could go to Bennington or I could go to Massachusetts and those are beautiful roads to drive, especially in the fall. And two has got that big mountain. Yep. Yep. Very it's nice. a lot of fun. Oh, so what about the uh, readings against the end of the world? We should so, get a little um, something about that. Just tell, talk, tell about trying, it. We would do a very long open mic the Friday of um wordfest and we did uh, most of them out of the uag gallery because they're very good friends of albany poets and we just loved and supported them um but this year we were approached by jill hannafin to kind of do something similar to that for the um children's cafe on the south end so we were like yeah that sounds great because now we have you know there's more people involved in organizing so um, I don't know how Tom did this without the internet because we have internet sign up. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how he didn't go crazy. Um, and, and for people who don't know, Tom Natell organized this, 
and pretty much did about 90% of the work, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was, did, he did was, I would say, 95% of the setup. Yeah, and, and then we all in. volunteered yeah. that night. But yeah, I mean, you guys were there from the beginning pretty he much. He got a sign up of people to fill up 24 hours. Yeah. When he started, he did say people, you know, they got more time. They had 15 or 20 minutes in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the end, they were getting five minutes. There were that many people coming and filling up this 24 hours of reading. So when Jill approached us, we were like, well, what are we going to call it? And we had some pretty bad ideas, all her and myself and um, Tom Francis, who's president of Albany Poets. We all had some pretty bad titles, you know, like read around the clock. Like we were just throwing ideas mm -hmm. out. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of dreadful. And then um, we were meeting in the space and I had Tom on uh, FaceTime. And I'm like, why don't we just call it what it is? It's readings against the end of the world. And I think, yeah. as much I think Tom would have liked that because of the it was very political and kind of the era we're in now. Um, uh, we've got blessings from everybody. Everybody who was involved from the beginning to the end kind of gave us his children. Uh, Marianne, his ex-wife, like we, they were all really supportive and we really appreciate that because it's nice going forward with a blessing. And this year the event is happening, what dates? It's going on seven o'clock, starts on the 21st and we're going till 7 p.m. on the 22nd. Um, and we're starting off with the first group, which is called the first group, which is people who were there at the beginning. And it's kind of our way to honor you guys who were there from the very beginning, who made this, who helped Tom to make this all possible. So it's, uh, you know, you're the first group. It's really, it's really an ambitious project. It's so cool that it's just people have decided. Ambitious. It. <laughs> it's so good that you have the internet to help with the side up. <laughs> I, I think Tom kind of did this. I can't speak for him, of course, but I think he kind of did this with a certain amount of, of kind of happy ignorance, like, you know, Jesus, this is a lot of work. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I think that's probably, you know, and as it, it grew, and then he was so smart because he knew when to end things. He knew when to go out on top. And I think that's just, you know, that's what a gentleman does. They just go out on top. And, um, you know, when it ended, it was sad, but it was over. And he knew it was over. It was time to move on to other things. Yeah. And um, hopefully we won't get to that point. We'll just keep going because I think it's a great yeah. event. Events like this are fabulous. And, and that, to me, especially because people from the region come together. And poets, you don't see that often. Exactly. Be there. There's the thing. There's a thing in Milwaukee. It's not 24 hours, but it's it's a marathon, they call it. And it goes from about 10 in the morning to about midnight. Mm -hmm. And and as the years have passed, more people from farther away, you know, people drive in 50 or 100 miles to be there for at least part of it. And that's just, I think it's so cool for we a poetry just, community to, to have that. Special. And, you know, it's like Tom planted the tree and these are the branches. And if all the branches could come together and it's really, I, I'm, I, I want the younger crowd you know, the, the 25 year olds to come out and kind of absorb our, this history because, you know, it's our goal to have this carry on in whatever form it needs to. Yeah. Um, but to know that it came from these people 
who worked really hard. You guys worked really hard in the beginning to make it happen and to make a scene. And there are just all kinds of people there at the beginning, at the QE2 readings, at the early readings against the end of the world. And we just, it's important to know your history. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hear another poem. I, I wrote this um, in response to something that happened last year. And um, it, 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 I think it, it'll explain itself. So this is called I Want You to Know. I'm sorry you're in this club. This is the worst club ever. I want you to know that you're not alone. We are millions. I want you to know that I'm sorry this happened to you. And if I could, I would take the pain for you. I want you to know that you are worthy of all good things. I want you to know for what it's worth, you have my respect. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that your concept of normal is over and you have to find what is going to be normal for you. You have to start over. You will never be the same. I want you to know you did nothing wrong, nothing. I want you to know for years I said this to myself in front of a mirror until my mouth was dry and I was so exasperated I couldn't see. I want you to know I got stuck in anger for years. Don't get stuck there. It prolongs the process and the process is long enough. I want you to know you have a responsibility to be happy. You owe it to all of us. It is a huge burden and you will have to do it. I want you to know that it looks like he won. He didn't win. He didn't win. You have to trust me on this. You did nothing wrong. He didn't win. I want you to know that above all else, I love you. I do. I never have to meet you or know your name, but I need you to know this. I need you to know that I love you. You are smart. I know that much. You are confused and tired and mad and sad and feel like shit sometimes, but you need to know you did nothing wrong. He didn't win. I need you to know not to hurt yourself. I need you to not abuse yourself. I did it with food and booze and men until very recently. I need you to stop being mean to yourself. I don't want you to go down this road. I want you to feel those feelings. I want you to go through it, not around it. If you don't, it will find you. I want you to know for what it's worth, I fully and deeply and with all of my heart have your back. And I want you to know for what it's worth, I do love you. Whoa. Yeah, it's about rape. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's actually, um, I wrote it for a young girl who's um, a daughter of a very good friend of mine who was abused last year. And I, I just want her to know, you know, I, it happened to me when I was a child. I was a very small child. I was four. And um, it went on for years and nobody knew. And I didn't really come to grips with it till I was about 21. And I had repressed memory syndrome. Um, I've been diagnosed with PTSD by two doctors and it's, you have to work at it. And, um, you know, every time I hear it, ha it happened to somebody else, it brings everything up. But, um, 
I, I there's an I want everyone who's been through this to know if you work at it and you get help there's another you come out the other side mm -hmm. and if you can help somebody that it doesn't make it go away but instead of wearing it as a hat you kind of wear it as shoes it never leaves you but it doesn't have to rule your life and that's the biggest part of any kind of recovery from this is that it you didn't do anything wrong you're not a victim you don't have to be a victim um but you do have to do the work and it's shitty it's shitty to have to do the work it sucks yeah, right but you know that's it's what you got to do that's a hell of a poem thank you i appreciate that it really is you know and it you know when that girl was um raped by that swimmer kid i'm not even going to mention his name mm. she just i i it just hit me it's like this girl did nothing wrong they were like oh she was drinking at a party i'm like i don't care if she was drinking at a party with her underpants on her head nobody has the right to do this to you you know it's like you know it, there were a rash of burglaries in my neighborhood, people breaking into cars, and they're like, well, don't leave valuables in your car. And it's like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't be breaking into cars. So that's, you know, it's yeah. Hurt. I get very frustrated. I write a lot when I'm frustrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just wanted her to know, even if she never hears this poem, I just want to kind of send it to her that there's a bunch of us who have your back, and we always will. So, oh, no, as you said, publication isn't the most important, but I hope that poem is published so more people can. No, I guarantee it. you, nobody will publish that poem. I'm like, I'm a, uh, I'm a publishing pariah. I really am. They're like, no, mm -mm, nobody. <laughs> and I, I guess yeah. it's flattering. Nobody quite knows where to put me. Do you want you want to uh, finish us out with one more? Oh, do you, you want to say anything out. about anything else like your reading series or? Uh, I do this um, open mic with a featured poet the last Monday of each month at McGeary's Irish Pub, Four Clinton Square, Albany, New York. All are invited. Um, I have no limitations on language. You could talk about whatever it is you want. I don't care. Um, but I do do the Tom Natale thing where if you want to discuss something, you have to leave. We have our own back room mm. each Monday of the month. So we have our privacy and people come to listen. That's good, yeah. It's so much fun. I have a great time doing it. I've been doing it for 12 years. We just celebrated wow. 12 years. Um, yeah, long. We, I'll give you a little history. We started the night Tom passed. He was supposed to be our first reader right and he passed away so um he passed away that morning so we carried on with the reading that night and it really became an irish wake you know we were just yeah. drinking and reading poetry and having fun and his grandbaby was there oh wow and now she's 12 years old so it's so weird it's so weird but it's great so um I'm going to end with uh, this last piece. It's called Why Poetry? Why do you write poetry? Great. So why poetry? Because the world has too many rock stars. Because I'm not a rock star. Because I was the funny girl. 
because I am a loudmouth, inappropriate, too honest for her own good freak, because I like being around people like me, and because poetry is the only place we aren't freaks. It's because my father didn't love me, because people pissed me off, because the men that understood what I was saying became my friends, because the men that liked how I said it, I fucked. Because poetry is all the shit that you should have said, but you were too tongue-tied. And because you should never piss off a writer. Because my feelings were hurt. Because I couldn't afford therapy. Because I couldn't afford drugs. Because drinking to excess after 30 makes women age in dog years. Because it weeds out the weak. Why poetry? Because I can. Ah, uh, yeah. So much, yeah. This has been great. Your Thank poems, you so much. Yeah, your poems and and all the things you had to say. I'm really glad we could do this. Me too. Thank you. spoken here. We've been visiting with Mary Panza of Troy, New York, in the New York Capital District. And now I'd like to talk a little bit about the position of Poet Laureate in the United States. One of the most basic pleasures of poetry is the way it slows us down. The intentionality of its language gives us pause. Its formal arrangement checks our haste. Billy Collins who served as Poet Laureate for the United States from 2001 to 2003, said that. I found his comment in a wonderful book I recently came upon called The Poet's Laureate Anthology. It's edited by Elizabeth Hunschmidt, published by Norton in 2010. It's an interesting collection of poems by Poet Laureates up through W.S. Merwin, who was appointed in 2010. The book is also an interesting source of information about the Office of Poet Laureate and includes other commentary on poetry by the laureates. I thought you'd enjoy knowing a bit about the office that we all know of but don't necessarily know a lot about. Here are a couple of basics. The Poet Laureate is appointed by the Librarian of Congress. Archibald MacLeish, who himself was a poet, was the third Librarian of Congress, and he appointed the first laureate, a poet whose name you probably are not familiar with, his Joseph Auslander. And he served from 1937 to 1941. Well, somewhere along the way, the title of the office was changed to Consultant in Poetry to the Library of Congress. And a number of people served with that title until 1986, when Robert Penn Warren was appointed, and the title was changed to Poet Laureate. In the United States, we've always been leery of the traditional concept of the Poet Laureate. There was a general notion we just didn't want to saddle a poet with the chore of writing ceremonial poems on demand, such as, it's Memorial Day, write us a poem, or the White House pet just died, write us a poem. As a result, we make no demands on our poet laureates. They are asked to do two things. Select readers for the reading series at the Library of Congress, and they usually emcee those readings, and to deliver one reading and one lecture at the library. 
Poet laureates are free to spend as much or as little time at their lovely office at the library as they wish. Recently, it's been the practice of poet laureates to institute a public project of some sort, such as Ted Kuzer's weekly poetry column made available for newspapers that would like to reprint it. And that's a project that continues today, even though he stopped being poet laureate a decade ago. These days, a poet will serve as laureate for up to two years, but they're offered the position one year at a time, with the result that some serve just the one year and some accept the inevitable invitation for the second year. Here are a few little tidbits. You might like to know that Louise Bogan was the first woman poet laureate. That was 1945 to 46, and she was the third poet in the laureate position. At age 40, Rita Dove was the youngest poet to hold the office. And our current poet laureate, Juan Felipe Herrera, is the first Chicano poet laureate. And I'm pretty sure he's the first performance poet to hold the office, too. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this little visit to the Office of Poet Laureate. It's a topic to which we may return on some future podcast. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rouser, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>